Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hello, and welcome to New Books in Sports. My name is Keith Rathbone, recording here at Macquarie University, and I have with me Antonio Sotomayor. He is the Assistant Professor and Librarian of Latin American and Caribbean Studies at the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. His work revolves around issues of identity and cultural politics, nationalism, international relations in the United States and Latin America. He looks at these things through the window of sports. His work has appeared in journals such as The Latin Americanist, The Americas, The Journal of Sports History, and The International Journal of the History of Sport. And we're here today to talk about his most recent book, The Sovereign Colony, Olympic Sport, National Identity, and International Politics in Puerto Rico, out from University of Nebraska Press. Welcome to our uh, podcast, Antonio, and uh, thank you very much for joining us. Oh, it's, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's, it's truly an honor to be here. Antonio, I, I'd love if you could tell us a little bit. I, you wrote about it in your book, but I, for our listeners here, uh, tell us a little bit about how you developed this project. How did you come to this question of, of sports politics in Puerto Rico? Well, um, you know, let's, let, let's start with uh, going, going a bit back. You know, I, I grew up in Puerto Rico. I... Um, Yes, I played sports. Uh, I'm a fan of sports, and I played basketball not very, not very uh, well, really. But that maybe that's why I, I write about it. <laughs> but um, yeah, <clears throat> oh well. Um, I, I love sports, uh, basketball. Um, I played little, little league baseball and stuff like that. Um, but you know, <clears throat> when I went to uh, graduate school and later on at, um, at my PhD at the University of Chicago, I was I was doing doing other things, um, but still uh, researching on on culture and, and politics. I've always been um, interested uh, on on issues of, of Puerto Rican identity and 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 the and the politics, the, the political situation of of Puerto Rico. Um, the the issue of uh, Puerto Rico's um, colonial relation or not, um, the, the political future is always present growing up in, in, in the island. So I, something that is very ingrained, was very ingrained in me. So in conversations with uh, some, you know, with my advisors at Chicago, we, we started talking about uh, going back to, to uh, this issue of, of sport. Uh, to be honest, it was, um, you know, I, I, I didn't get there thinking I was going to write about sport. But, you know, it, it came through a conversation and we said, hey, you know, um, I think it's time, you know, it could be a good time to uh, study sport in a profound, uh, analytical way um, to, to, to have it as a window to understand uh, uh, politics. Uh, that political relation and this idea of, uh, of, of identity of a nation or Puerto Ricanhood um, maybe could provide some new um, insights uh, in, into those into those issues. And uh, you know, I'm, 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 yeah. So one thing led to another. Started you know writing and, and, and going to the archives and, and most importantly reading uh, the sources and reading all of this information. Through the lens of of the uh, you know of of of, uh, of historians of, of scholars, Part uh, Chatterjee, uh, Benedict Anderson, uh, you name it, um, all of those uh, uh, great scholars. And um, so 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 the study is not really a chronicle. It's not really a, a, a description of who won what when and who played what where. You know, no, no, it, it's. It, it's really the book um, um, <laughs> uh, talks more about just plain politics. And I really, you know, when I talk about, you know, Central American and Caribbean games, I, 
I think there's a paragraph on the final score of, of what medals won who and things like that, but mainly it's the story of these individuals and the negotiations about um, how to participate and, and, and the political considerations to participate and things like that. Yeah, I, I found really fascinating this central conceit of your work in some ways, this idea of colonial sovereignty, which in some ways is a little bit of a paradox, right? How can a colony have a kind of sovereignty? But you really, through the lens of sport, illustrate that idea. And I, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about, about this idea of colonial sovereignty, because people who pick up your book, I think might read the title and go, whoa, what's that? <laughs> yeah, I that that title was uh, very interesting. Uh, how I came up with, I had another. I have, of course, you know, we, you go through so many different. <laughs> I don't know what what to say. How to you know summarize the whole argument? You know, three hundred pages worth of you know of, of of argument and 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 data and stuff into a catchy title and and hopefully you know a not too bad subtitle. And uh, you know what is this book about? Well, it's about a colony. It, it, it Puerto Rico is a colony. That's the way that you know I view it, and many other scholars view it, right? And um, but but they have somehow they have an Olympic committee that is sovereign, right? Because uh, um, you know that's how the International Olympic Committee works, right? With 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 um, National Olympic Committees, and they're supposed to be, you know, separate entities from government. They're, they represent a nation, so they're sovereign. And I say, wait, how about the sovereign colony? <laughs> you know, it's like, and, and it and it it captures that paradox that you have a colony, politically colony, but the IOC in their efforts, right? The International Olympic Committee, the, the Olympic movement in their efforts to um, uh, promote the values of Olympism, they do it, you know, uh, through, through culture and, and in their aspiration to keep politics separate from Olympism, um, they, they allow for this construction, you know, it's of, of, of culture and display with, uh, with, with, with cultural sovereign entities. So, the sovereignty refers more to the cultural aspect of of Puerto Rico. So it, they're, they're culturally sovereign because they're, they're a, a Caribbean people, Latin American people. And, and the colony refers to the political situation. Both of them come clearly, and I would say almost exclusively, in, in Olympic sport. Yeah, I think your other example was beauty pageants. So the other place where you can see these two things op operant. I think you do a great job of also dealing with something that many sports historians, myself included, have trouble have trouble unpacking, which is how much sports illustrate other uh, phenomenon and how much they help produce this phenomenon. And you're really showing that in your book, I, I think that that the, the that the colonial Olympism of the Puerto Rican. Um, Olympic Committee, you'll pardon me if I just translate into the English, uh, <laughs> um, that it illustrates this kind of cultural sovereignty as you're talking about, but also in some ways helps produce it over time, right? Because they're actors who are pushing for this particular type of, of cultural sovereignty. Right. I think that's some of the really interesting stuff in your work. Am I reading it well, or <laughs> right? No, no, definitely. I mean, this and this is what this is what might um, might shock people, might surprise. Let's say you know, might might um, um, might be of surprise to to a few uh, uh, people, uh, especially um, those that are more of a you know fans, just regular fans of, of Puerto, the Puerto Rican Olympic delegation. I. Yeah, the, I think the Puerto Rico's Olympic Committee, the the the, the structure that it that it uh, sits on, and, and um, it's it's colonial, um, and it and by doing so, they reproduce the colonial uh, relations. That is, um, Puerto Ricans manage somehow. We can talk about that process. Manage somehow to gain uh, Olympic sovereignty. 
uh, and to celebrate their identity that through time, through the span of, 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 of a century, now can be called a national identity without punitive consequences. But we'll, we'll talk about that. But um, they, they do, they have that Olympic um, uh, delegation being citizens of the United States, no problem. But the problem is that they're not any type of citizens. They're citizens of an unincorporated territory officially. And the structures, the way that that territory is governed, it's, it's, it's colonial uh, in, in, in nature. So um, you have the celebration of the nation. You have an, kind of an escape ball to allow for those uh, nationalistic, patriotic feelings to be celebrated. You have your own flag, and you wave it, and you can win, um, like Monica Puig did, and celebrate it. Um, and the world will see Puerto Rico is one separate you know, nation, and they did it. But they do so by still and no problem with that political relation of the unincorporated territory that it's collapsing, that it's in crisis, that it's in extremely high debt, um, and they cannot do anything about it. So in that regards, people might be, oh, great, we can celebrate our nation and we can be citizens, despite of the colonial relation, which in turn then could reproduce that, uh, uh, that colonial relation, because uh, we're fine, we, we have our Olympic Committee, we can celebrate our nation. You, you start your, your examinations um, in the period before the Spanish-American War. Uh, so you take us throughout the whole of, of um, I don't know if you use this word, but American occupation of Puerto Rico, uh, almost, almost up to the present, but really focusing uh, up until the <laughs> 1960s. So I wonder if you could start a little bit about start us off a little bit talking about what was sport in Puerto Rico like before the Spanish-American War and then when the United States um, occupied the Philippines, how did it begin to impose its athletic agenda in Puerto Rico and for what purpose? Right, yeah. This is, um, and, and this is important to understand um, Puerto Rican sport under the U.S. You can call it U.S. occupation. You can call it U.S. Uh, imperial period, the U.S. administration. You can you can call it different ways. But since the U.S. arrived formally in Puerto Rico, um, uh, I think it's important to observe how sport and games were uh, practiced and how they worked in Puerto Rican society or in um, Latin American society, for that matter. And um, and it worked in similar ways to when it worked later under the U.S., and that is sporting games were a, uh, was a way to um, uphold authority, um, entertainment, um, and, and negotiate those uh, the, the local politics. So, and I start one of the, the, the first chapter on, with this vignette of this governor that was playing a game of pelota, you know, um, 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 a, a Spanish game, play with a little ball in a wall and stuff like that. There's some points involved. And he missed some points or something, and he cursed um, and, and uh, said something that you know he knows better than God and something like that. And the bishop was all appalled and things. And, and he got away with it. Um, because he was the authority, and at that game he showed that he was the the, the uh, captain governor of the island was even above the bishop, um, and and so he was a marker of of authority and other ways of playing during the colonial Latin America or, or in Puerto Rico was through the use of of you know horses and horse racing. And, and festivals and, and different games played at certain events. Well, you know, those games had a purpose. Those festivals had a purpose uh, and to show social hierarchies. So you have, you know, special games in, in, in Latin America, they used to uh, uh, joust, believe it or not, like medieval times. They weren't horses, they had <laughs> big lances, they had, you know, all of these. 
uh, decoration around the main plaza. You have some stands for the uh, local cabildo and everybody of, of authority looking uh, towards you know the, the the main plaza where two horses were running with with the with the with men on top holding the, the lances to see which one will, will, will hit the other one and fall down. Medieval jousts in Latin America. That's a, a future project I'm going to work on. But you know. In, in that performance, that game uh, uh, showed, you know, the social hierarchy. Who can play at, at those games? Well, uh, knights, and, and at that time, you know, they were uh, uh, the elite, only those who can participate. Not everybody could run those uh, sports. They were watched by the elite uh, in the in the administration on a special place to the to the to the onlookers who were down below. So, right there, you show by the staging of the game the authority. Um, this is where we are. Uh, this is who you are. This is the place. Um, and, and other examples that I go a little bit, you know, I review in the book. But later on, uh, when we start going into the Spanish uh, 19th century. Um, and a big component in, in, in Puerto Rico to the foster sports in Puerto Rico under the U.S. was um, the public school system. Well, under Spain, there was, there was a very fragile sort of public school system. Not really. There were some, a few schools under the Spanish. There was no physical education component, um, no real attention to sport, even late in the 19th century when, you know, you have in the U.S. and in England and other places, you know, more use of, of athletics and things in schools and things like that. That was the more modern way of... of Already the muscular Christianity movement is in vogue in, in oh, the Anglo world. Is, absolutely. Is, yeah, right. absolutely. But in, 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 in the last two position of, of positions of Spain in, in the Americas, Cuba and Puerto Rico, it was non-existent. And, but people knew about this, about these um, practices, right? Cultural practices and, and things in musical Christianity, like you said. So, um, uh, so when you have that change of, of imperial administration, um, then you have the the U.S. coming in and part of their hegemonic agenda in, in both Cuba, Puerto Rico, the Philippines was to establish. Um, a general education system with a heavy component of athletics, then in Puerto Rico in particular, you have that acceptance, that celebration, that, you know, um, incorporation of that, of that um, part of the new uh, modern education system. And... Um, Compared to the to the Spanish ones, they were like, "Oh yeah, no, no, I mean, that's, this is great. Look at this. You know, we have now curriculums and physical education. You have athletic programs. They're starting these new things they call basketball, I think, and volleyball. What is that? Well, I don't know. Let's go and practice. It looks like fun. Um, and that was all brought in uh, under under the U.S. I mean, it's not like they turned on a switch." Uh, the U.S. hegemonic project with the education system. You know, no, the, the people going to sending their kids to school in 1900, 1910s, knew how things were in 1890s when the Spanish were there. Um, so we have to, it's, it's useful to see that continuation of the role of games and sport between Spanish colonialism up to 1898 and then U.S. colonialism after 1898, the continuation of, of, of that role. Well, I, I found this part of your work very fascinating. I just had read not too long ago Gerald Jem's work on the Philippines, and it was, uh, that was in my mind as I'm reading your book. Yep. And yep. Uh, just both the differences in American actors where you seem to to talk more about the role of schools and the YMCA. And he, he was very much interested in the role of the military. And I think that that shows in some ways the very different types of occupations or administrations at work in Puerto Rico versus the Philippines. Yeah, no, no, no not necessarily. What I found in my research on, on the YMCA, and, and, and I have a, a good section on the YMCA in the book, but also on an article recently published in, in the Americas about the YMCA. What I found was that the YMCA found an alliance, established an alliance with the U.S. Army and Navy during the 
invasion of Cuba, Puerto Rico, and the Philippines in 1898. Ah. They signed some, yeah, 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 yeah. They, they signed agreements and everything. <laughs> and the YMCA became the Army and Navy YMCA, and they went to the battlefront, uh, to the camps, to the camps, but but there with the soldiers to provide moral support, uh, to you know, help them, you know, uh, give give Bibles, you know, for some uh, uh, recreation activities, help write letters. They were they were there as the Army and Navy YMCA, and in Puerto Rico they had. And, and a building called Army and Navy YMCA as early as 1899, where they started. Yeah, yeah where they started then uh, building their program in that included <laughs> sports. And, and the idea was to um, again, like like with the public education system, to to Americanize, but in this case to uh, convert from you know convert people mainly those uh, Catholics. Soldiers first, but then spreading into the citizenry um, to convert into Protestantism and doing so through um, sport, muscular Christianity. And they did that in Cuba, Puerto Rico, and the Philippines. One of the interesting things about your work is how early on the politics of sport get enmeshed with um, political uh, organizations within Puerto Rico. And I this for me was was very illuminating because I I knew not that much about Puerto Rico before reading the book, but that these three different factions these uh, maybe factions not the appropriate word three different um, um, sides of the debate this this these um, independence supporters of independence supporters of uh, of uh, these autonomists and and estadists you know these people supporting the the statehood, they all use sports in different ways or are viewed sports in different ways. And that starts very early, it seems like. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and and those, those are the three main political variants in Puerto Rico, again, in continuation from the Spanish period. And in Spanish period, you had the... Um, um, conservadores, uh, peninsular, you know, Spaniards and, and locals who wanted to um, maintain these, uh, um, um, you know, the, the current status or even make it a, 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 a province, but not co- really continue the colonial uh, relation to their advantage. Then you had a group of, of, of autonomistas, autonomists in, during Spain that wanted to create some sort of, of political body resembling, you know, the dominions of like Canada or, or, or Australia to gain some sort of, of autonomy over their economy and, and, and local politics, you know, their local government and things like that, and a small uh, faction of, of just pure separatist independence who in 1868 um, held a, um, an insert, a rebellion and then proclaimed the Republic of Puerto Rico only lasted a few, a, a month or so, it was short-lived. Um, that continued into the US after, after 1898, where you have um, uh, some realignments and some people, you know, they cease to <laughs> uh, uh, pursue those goals uh, with Spain, and now they they do it with the new the new uh, imperial master. So you have, you know, uh, those who wanted to um, uh, have complete annexation as a as a state of the union, and then you had those that still wanted some sort of autonomy, um, still tied politically to to the metropole, but um, have some sort of control over their own government and the economy and things like that. And then the the ones that still want complete independence from any 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 of any empire, any regime. Um, they um, they also participated on um, on the activities, all of them participated on the activities, the new activities on sport, uh, including including the the, the pro independence. Um, they all accepted that those activities as as features of, of modern societies of progress, um, but 
there were some some subtle differences, and this is something that I have to explain to a lot of my co- Latin American colleagues and and or or, or other um, historians of sport. But Puerto Ricans, even though that their culture is Latin American, Caribbean, their sport is not soccer. Their sport, <laughs> no, no, in Puerto Rico, you know, we, uh, the, the majority or the most popular sport is not soccer; it's baseball, and this is. It goes along with, right, it's like Cuba, it's a Caribbean country, Cuba, the, uh, parts of Venezuela, the Yucatan, Mexico, you know, Dominican Republic, it's baseball. It, 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 it mimics the, the sphere of U.S. Um, influence. But soccer was played in, in Puerto Rico. Um, early on, um, 1911 is the, 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 the first recorded uh, uh, game of, of sport, of, of soccer. But it was played with, uh, um, by the elite, mostly associated with the old Spanish um, community uh, still in, in Puerto Rico. So there were um, conservatives in, 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 that, in, in, in those terms. There were Hispanophiles, um, and their identity was still very... Um, um, pro-Spanish, pro-Puerto Rican as a, as a Spanish uh, colony, as a Spanish um, um, society. Um, and um, I, I, there was, in, 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 in I document this, I mentioned a little bit in the book, um, but, but, but more in, in, in another article I published in, in the Latin American is, in, in that you have in the institution also kind of negotiating the place of, 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 of certain sports and, and, and the culture that they represent. So you have the YMCA with the full support of the American um, uh, regime pushing uh, sports like basketball, volleyball, you know, um, uh, uh, baseball, not that much because they played on on. on it clashed with the, with the religious belief of, of the YMCA, but you know tennis and all other sports that 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 also was appealing to a lot of the people. And then you have you know uh, Casino Español and Casa de España and other you know institutions um, 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 more uh, identified with the, with the old regime of of Spain uh, fostering soccer. So. Soccer was played, but by a minority of people, but, but elite also with, with, with money and connections. So it continued like that. And, and to me, that just uh, uh, mimicked that, that idea of like the YMCA with the power of the US empire was able to spread this, you know, um, uh, uh, supposedly American sports. Uh, but in the background, holding on strongly there was soccer, uh, which was um, uh, could be said, you know, kind of an, the Hispanic equivalent of a, of a sport, and that was very strong for that group of people and stable, and it still played. It still played. Huh. Well, I think one of the reasons why, and you explain this in your book, uh, the YMCA and these other American sports were so um, became so widespread is because of the success of of sport as a kind of modernizing project. And you talk a lot about um, in the 1930s, the construction of sporting facilities um, across, across, across the country. I, I wondered if you could talk about why the 1930s were so critical for this project of construction and how and why um, both American actors, but more importantly, Puerto Rican actors thought of uh, this sports construction boom as part of this modernization uh, of the country. Yeah, um, it was it was very important. Um, this construction boom, which yeah, it's a bit more into the 1940s, but the basis of this uh, modern modernizing efforts started in the 1930s and 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 goes along with an important. Um, uh, process, diplomatic process from uh, between the U.S. and Latin America in the 1930s. Um, 
coinciding right with the with the crisis of the um, the depression. So you have in the 1930s um, the ill effects of this horrible depression. Um, and um, you have also efforts from, from Washington to cool down the engines a little bit of their interventions in Latin America. Um, first uh, few decades of the, of the century, 20th century, they were in, in Cuba, they were in Dominican Republic, in Haiti, in Nicaragua, uh, the basic uh, diplomacy of sorts. Uh, Gumball diplomacy, and by the 1930s, hey, let's cool down these these things and let's do a bit more diplomatic approach. And um, this is the so-called good neighbor policy. Exactly. Thank you. I was the good neighbor policy that you have in the 1930s. Also, then in 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 domestically in 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 the U.S., you have uh, the New Deal, where you start you start having some reforms uh, to to take care of, of the citizenry and uh, the the efforts to modernize and to build parks and things like that um, uh, can be um, uh, understood, seen, starting maybe through the New Deal policies of the of the nineteen of the nineteen thirties um, of of new efforts to soften an approach with Latin America in the nineteen thirties with the Good Neighbor policy. And then they take off and they get institutionalized in the 1940s. Uh, but in the 1930s, uh, for for the topic of, of the book and um, and this sovereign colony sort of thing, um, one of the one of the um, ways to work that diplomacy uh, through Olympic sport was was the uh, were the uh, Central American and Caribbean Games. Uh, that started in, in 1926 in um, in Mexico with only three countries participating: Mexico, Guatemala, and Cuba. But in 1930, they did a, a, a bigger push to invite more people. Um, 1930, of course, and that's where you start seeing this this switch in in, in diplomacy in the region. Um, and these games are modeled after the Olympic Games, which are part of, of the Olympic movement that fosters Olympism, which is, you know, goodwill among the nations of the world and humanism and things like that. So, so it was a great opportunity to come together, the countries of the region, to foster that good neighbor policy, that goodwill policy. So, uh, but... Uh, the U.S. is not in, in Central America or the Caribbean. Wait, they are. They have a U.S. <laughs> unincorporated territory. <laughs> so the ambassador in, in Havana, Gary Hugenheim, uh, he sends the invitation to San Juan and say, hey, let's send a delegation, a Puerto Rican delegation, to the games here in Havana in 1930 to represent the U.S., um, uh, at, at said game, so Puerto Ricans were athletic diplomats, if you if you want to call it. They went, they participated, holding the U.S. flag. Um, they, the U.S. hymn was played when they won medals, and uh, but they did so as um, as Puerto Ricans, as culturally Spanish-speaking um, Caribbean brothers and uh, brothers, no sisters, because women were not allowed to participate back then. So, so they did so um, in, in in throughout the, 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 the three games in the 19, um, 1930s, 30 in Havana, 1935 in El Salvador, and 1938 in Panama City. But we also have to understand that decade in, 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 in other, other uh, dynamics of national identity. And in Puerto Rico, you have a, a group of intellectuals and a push to, to really define the Puerto Rican culture, Puerto Rican personality, or Puerto Rican nation. Um, you have uh, um, intellectuals like Antonio Pedreira, uh, who are arguing for there's a distinct Puerto Rican personality in, in, in people. You have uh, um, more radical uh, groups like Partido Nacionalista with uh, Pedro Albizu Campo who are saying, no, Puerto Rico is a nation and we want independence right now. 
all of those things converge in Puerto Rico's participation during the 1935 games. And at, the, at, that, at those games, um, some nationalist athletes actually carried during the opening uh, procession the Puerto Rican flag, not the U.S. flag. And that was a big, no, no, that was a big mess. So <laughs> the U.S. consul <laughs> in, in, El Sal in, in San Salvador made a, a complaint. Uh, it was a, because, you know, they're trying to use the games for diplomacy. And here you have some insubordinate uh, colonial subjects raising a Puerto Rican flag where they're supposed to raise the the uh, the U.S. flag. So, um, and I just wanted I I I I have the book here just to um, I wanted to read some um, if if I if I can. Yeah, uh, of course. Yeah, uh, it, it it was a, a, a an important event um, and how these games work, kind of the diplomacy uh, of U.S. and Latin America and how Puerto R Puerto Rico's role into that thing and and you have reactions by the Salvadorian uh, press um, that said things like, like this, uh, reacting to the show of, of, of the Puerto Rican flag. Cuba, in quote, Cuba, today a republic, is more fortunate than Puerto Rico without being either a state of the North American Union or an independent republic. But in the Central American Olympics, Puerto Rico has been a nation. Olympically speaking, in San Salvador, we, uh, we have witnessed the birth of a nation, Puerto Rico. Its small flag with its single star, like a younger sister of other flags, has been raised for the first time on the common flagstaff of the Central American standards. This took place on Salvadorian ground, on the free ground of self-governing people, the firm ground of a people who have declared their independence, and we shall never forget it." End quote. That was a really powerful moment. And you see uh, this politics of flags uh, recurring throughout your, your book as, as it seems like flags are, became in, in their, their deployment, both in the opening ceremony, but then in other moments in time, kind of crucial symbols of this colonial sovereignty. Um, it, I, I think it was really telling at, 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 um, at one of the games hosted in Puerto Rico, they had to have a separate ceremony before the opening ceremony where they used the American and Puerto Rican flag together. And then in the main opening ceremony, just the Puerto Rican flag. No, I <laughs> all of this. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a true, uh, some other people have written about this, the, the war of the flags in Puerto Rico. Um, it's been going on as, as I just read since, but since the 19 since the 19th century right uh, with you know flags are the, sim, the the symbols iconographic symbol of of a nation and in the olympic movement that's what the olympic you know delegations used to represent their delegation and and that's how the us I mean, one of the symbols the us claims right their overseas possession you plant the u.s flag you know in, in in their new possessions and and they use it that you have to parade in the opening ceremonies with the u.s flag and here comes the nationalist say nope is the puerto rican flag when puerto rico participates later on in the um for the first time in the olympic games uh, the summer olympic games in london 1948 um they were so, uh, they were supposed to uh, to uh, well they, they, it became a problem because they were invited to the to to the olympic games partly because of the ioc's uh, interest in spreading olympism around the world partly because of puerto rico's previous um, uh, historical record of participating at the Central American Games, and partly because also Avery Brundage interceded. Avery Brundage um, was the president of the United States Olympic Committee for the longest time, since the 1930s, later um, IOC president since 1952. So he had a big hand in, in also saying, hey, Puerto Ricans should go to London because they have been playing at at, you know, in the Central American games. So in, in, at, at those games, Puerto, R Puerto Rico couldn't participate using the U.S. flag because the U.S. was present at the Olympic Games. So there becomes a, a, a conflict of like, okay, so they're invited. We wanted 
to go. We want to expand the Olympic movement. Every Brunder says they want, <laughs> they, they should go. But what flag are they going to use? Because the Puerto Rican flag is not recognized. It's not, it's, it's just a, it's just a piece of cloth. So, um, so they said, okay, so you can participate, um, but you use the um, coat of arms flag granted by, the, by, by Spain in 1511. Um, and, uh, they, and they used that, even though there was another attempt internally among the delegates to use the Puerto Rican flag, but then that was actively uh, put down. Like, and I cited on the book, said, no, 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 you cannot use the Puerto Rican flag. That's a nationalist symbol. We're going to get in trouble. So then they used the politically safe coat of arms, Spanish coat of arms um, in, on the flag. Um, and, and I put up a, a table on one of the chapters on when which flag was used by the Puerto Rican delegation at which game, because it varied. And it varies because of the political condition of, 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 of Puerto Rico. But um, it, 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 of course. Uh -huh. No, I was going to say one of the things that you map out so um, clearly throughout is, is that this isn't just an imposition from the United States saying, oh, you can't use that flag. Um, that often it's, it's, very much an internal debate among the Puerto Rican actors themselves, who some of whom support independence, some of whom support um, some kind of autonomy with the U.S. And, and you can you can see even over time a lot of these positions evolving. I, I think you showed that really well um, in the character, and I'm I'm sure I'll butcher this name, so pardon me. <laughs> uh, but uh, Julio Enrique Monagas, who who uh, evolves in some ways from a supporter first of kind of only a bilateral relationship yeah. with the U.S. So Puerto Rican yeah. should compete in the U.S. Um, trials to a supporter of Puerto Rican colonial Olympism, right. as you as you put it. Right, right. No, so I, mean, I wonder if you can talk through that a little bit for us. Absolutely. No, it's it's a very complicated story that is not easily portrayed as imperial oppressor and colonial victim. There's no way. Um, Julio Enrique Monagas is known today as the father of Puerto Rican Olympism. But that person, when I studied the record and studied his, his um, expressions in newspapers and, 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 and position, he was originally, in, in his intention was not to participate internationally, but just to participate with the US, mainly because um, he was a, a strong, ally of the autonomists of the um of the of the status quo working alongside puerto rico's uh, caudillo at that time and big big political leader um uh, luis muñoz marin he he worked uh from the point of view of sport so he was willing to um support uh, the political agenda of Muñoz Marin, which was a very subtle diplomatic negotiation with the U.S. to gain some sort of autonomy during the 1940s. That eventually worked and established the Commonwealth in 1952. So you have the father of Puerto Rican Olympism originally not really wanting to participate in the Olympic movement. And then you have uh, people like Avery Brundage, um, president of, of, of the U.S. Olympic Committee, um, advocating for Puerto Rico's participation in the Olympic movement as their own um, delegation separate from the U.S. Yes, he had to fight that against other sport leaders in the U.S. who wanted to assimilate Puerto Rico as part of the U.S. Olympic Committee. So he was the one, no, 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 let's, let's have them play, because he was following really the interest of the International Olympic Committee, which wanted to expand the movement worldwide. So uh, that, it, it, the story is very complicated. Um, eventually, in terms of the flag, it somehow a little bit gets fixed in, in, in 1952 with the establishment of, of the uh, Commonwealth. Yeah, I, 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 um, I have to admit, I was a bit, um, I don't want to say shocked, but your depiction of Brundage is, is just so um, different from, from 
my own readings of him and my own work from the 1930s. I don't want to say it's a sympathetic view because you you do acknowledge that he had a more complicated history. But this is a part of Brundage that I don't think many people um, know about. So I wondered if you could talk a little bit about what what his thinking was on encouraging Puerto Rican um, independence in the Olympic movement. Is this just about expanding Olympism? Is he tied in with this conversation about the Cold War, which is, I hope, where we can go next with our remaining time? Yeah. Or um, what's going on? Why is he a big supporter of of Puerto Rican Olympism, basically at the same time in which he's also um, fighting to retain South American and Rhodesian participation in the Olympic movement? in the 1950s. So it's kind of a complex story of Brundage. Too. It is a complex study of Brundage. And I am and familiar with his, uh, with his interest in, in having Puerto Rico participate in the Olympic movement um, and familiar with his other positions more generally. Um, but I, I think he was a person, speci- especially you know, for Pan-Americanism. And he was one of the um, founding um, individuals of the Pan-American games and, and things like that. So he was very much interested in spreading Olympism to uh, throughout Latin America and the Caribbean, taking it from uh, Pierre de Coubertin, the, the, the founder of the modern Olympic games. So for Puerto, for, for Puerto Rico, he was, um, yeah, he was a staunch supporter of having Puerto Rico participate, not necessarily because he thought, oh yeah, Puerto Ricans, you you feel like a nation, right? So you should participate because that's the nice thing to do. No, no, no. He was, um, let's have Puerto Rico and also let's include Jamaica to participate when Jamaica was a colony of, a crown colony of, of, of uh, the United Kingdom. And let's have uh, other other places participate in, 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 in Latin America. Those who can, are willing and, and can send a delegation do so. So I don't think he was just being nice. He had interest in, in spreading um, the Olympic movement uh, throughout the region. And, and he played an important part. The same way that for Puerto Rican uh, scholars and Puerto Rican, those who, 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 who follow Puerto Rican history, in the 1930s, Blanton Winship, uh, known uh, a governor of Puerto Rico, appointed in 1935, 36, known for being a very repressive uh, uh, governor, was also a very uh, uh, important supporter of Puerto Rico going to the 1938 uh, Central American Games in Panama. Um, and you have people like like Monagas and, and, and other um, um, uh, uh, Puerto Rican sport leaders, not really doing so early on. But later on, when do, they do establish the, the Commonwealth, which has to be seen also in that post-World War II uh, wave of decolonization and turning into the Cold War, uh, way of, of, of showcasing um, US uh, uh, anti-imperialism, uh, uh, supporter of democracy, supporter of, 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 of uh, decolonization and things like that. And then they, they did it with, uh, with their own, uh, own colony, uh, um, supported with, um, in support with, with Luis Muñoz Marin to establish the Commonwealth in 1952. And by doing so, having Puerto Ricans finally be able to, to say, you are your own Olympic committee, you can use your Puerto Rican flag, no problem, you're allowed to use it now. Um, but the political problems, they don't end in 1952 with the Commonwealth, with the little autonomy that, that was granted by, by U.S. Congress in 1952 to Puerto Ricans. Because even though Puerto Ricans now had freely um, um, a legitimate symbol to represent their delegation with the Puerto Rican flag, they were still tied to their colonial uh, reality. Um, and that was clearly seen in the um, when they finally host their own Olympic type event in 1966, they host the Yeah, I'd love for you to talk about this because this is just totally fascinating and a bit it so again so paradoxical. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> so, so I mean, researching this story is just like extremely eye opening, and I was like, oh, let's, let me just keep writing this because it's like, okay. Anyway, so um, they finally host well. 
not without hesitation. Again, Monagas didn't want to host the games in San Juan because he thought that uh, we were not developed enough. They don't have the money. They're gonna, we're gonna be a, make a laughing point. Uh, uh, but eventually, you know, um, with support of, of different people, they said, no, okay, let, let's host. But the problem in 1966 is that you have uh, in the region, uh, the Republic of Cuba now fully declared socialist and with the sides of the, of the Soviet Union and the Eastern Bloc. Um, you have that delegation uh, and Fidel Castro's um, use of the Cuban Olympic delegation as uh, a way to showcase the success of the Socialist Republic of Cuba and the Communist Republic of Cuba. So, um, and you have broken relations between the U.S. and Cuba. Um, so there was the problem, and you have a Puerto Rican government that is uh, tied to the immigration um, and, and to the custom uh, realities of, of the U.S. And, and that means that the Cuban delegation were not permitted to enter uh, uh, Puerto Rico. And, and um, because of the, those broken diplomatic relations. But the, according to the rules of the, of, of the IOC, if you want to host the games, you have to invite everybody, every delegation in the region. So what you have is an interesting case of, of, of Puerto Ricans trying to um, figure out what to do in this situation. You have a, a bunch of exiles from Cuba in Puerto Rico um, um, very vocal and active and uh, supportive of the of the of the uh, Commonwealth government and with strong allies in the in the Commonwealth government. So the government actually said, and and this time um, it was um, Sanchez Vilella, Roberto Sanchez Vilella, the governor at that time, who openly said that they were willing to go against the U.S. mandates. If the U.S. eventually wanted to grant the visas to the Cuban athletes, Puerto Ricans would say, no, we don't want the Cubans here because, you know, they're communists, uh, Castro is a dictator, and that we have close to 20, 22,000 Cuban exiles, and there's uh, concerns over security. So you have Puerto Puerto Rico trying to exert their whatever autonomy they thought they had, um, and then eventually being told, no, you cannot control that. So, um, and this this was back and forth communication, negotiation between Avery Brundage, uh, now at the IOC with the U.S. Uh, State Department, uh, Puerto Rico, and, and um and other Olympic uh, leaders from Latin America. So the U.S. said, and the IOC said, you have to invite, otherwise Puerto Rico, you cannot host these games. So the U.S. said, okay, we're going to grant the visas, but Cubans, you have to get it in Mexico City. We're not going to send it to you or to the Swiss embassy, um, which handles these things. So the Cubans said, no, 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 we're not going to do that. We're just going to go directly to Puerto Rico by boat, but they didn't tell that anybody. So for a few days, they were supposed to fly to, to Mexico and fly to San Juan. And they said, no, no, they took a boat and they went, um, they wanted to enter the harbor in San Juan, but they didn't have any permission. So you have the Coast Guard, um, you know, throwing messages and shouting at them from PA saying, if you enter U.S., waters without permission you're going to be confiscated your boat's going to be confiscated and you have cubans declaring that they're going to be martyrs of the the cuban republic if something happens to them also contacting the russian allies claiming for support and this is four years after the cuban missile crisis so so it, it was a big mess um, that uh, Puerto Ricans tried to um, to solve with their limited limited um, Olympic agency and um, representing uh, the interest of, of of the West and of the US um, 
in solids, different groups um, between Puerto Rico, Cuba, and the U.S. You have Puerto Ricans that are pro-U.S., pro-Western uh, uh, um, type of, 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 of uh, uh, system, political system. You have communist Puerto Ricans in alliance with the Cuban athletes, um, also all coming together in, 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 in during, during these games. So, you know, they sent Puerto Rico's um, um, uh, Secretary of State on a private boat to the Cuban boat, now anchored just, just outside international waters in San Juan, the deepest part of the Atlantic Ocean, to, uh, to negotiate the entrance. So they, they, what they agree at the end is to have private fishing boats from Puerto Rico to carry the Cuban athletes to the port of San Juan. And this happened like two hours before the opening ceremony. Um, and um, yeah, and, 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 and once in, in the island, then you have other sorts of conflicts between different supporters of, uh, you know, uh, pro-Cubans, you know, or, or against Cubans and all kinds of, it, yeah, it's, it's a, yeah. it's a crazy story with defections and, and protests yep. and, uh, even, murder even attempts, threats of murder. Threats of murder. It was, uh, it, it's, a uh, it's, uh, I mean, fa just a fascinating account. I, we just have a couple minutes left and I actually had two quick questions left. So I'll, I'll just okay. ask both of them really quickly. Um, the, the first is um, there's been, it seems, uh, recently a, a, a renewed interest in Puerto Rican statehood. But one of the things that your project illuminates is how complicated that would be when in the context of Puerto Rican Olympism. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about that. And then finally, I want you to have an opportunity to, to plug your future projects. It sounds like you have some interesting work. Um, coming up as well. So if you could just, you know, in the next four minutes, kind of give us that information, uh, that would be great, Antonio. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> sorry. So the, um, wait, wait, what, what was the, the, the first, first one again? is the, the complicated um, position, ah. of the question of statehood in Puerto Rican Olympism. Right. That question is very important. And I say in the book that the Olymp Puerto Rico's Olympic delegation, it's a brick wall to statehood. It's so ingrained in people's um, uh, definition of the Puerto Rican nation that eliminating it would be a big existential blow to Puerto Ricans. Uh, those who want annexation of the US have to deal with the fact that it's very popular. And Monica Puig in 2016 made that a little bit more difficult. Under um, Puerto Rican state, if they choose to, to, to be that and the US accepted, um, Puerto Rico could cannot have an Olympic delegation and that has been communicated by, certain, by, by several Olympic leaders. Um, they could maybe participate in, in non-official tournaments, but not certainly not given a chance to, to play in the largest cultural festival in the world, which is the Olympic, the Olympic Games. So there's still, the procedures have to deal with that. And, and even Luis, um, Luis Gutierrez, uh, the, the, the congressman for, from Chicago, who's Puerto Rican descent, he has mentioned the Olympic delegation as an important issue in, in, in solving Puerto Rico's um, uh, political situation and arguing for, for just complete uh, independence. So, so that's a big, big issue. Uh, and, it, and it plays an important role in, in Puerto Rico's political future because it's an important role in their, in their meanings of, of their Puerto Rican nationhood and personality, you know. Um, yeah. yeah. Take, take, a, take a minute or two. I, I actually, I found, I found that to be one of the most interesting parts of the book, just in terms of our contemporary moment and this debate about Puerto Rican uh, statehood to know that not only within the IOC, but also within the Congress, that there seem to be obstacles to continuing Puerto Rican Olympism. And, and as you point out so well, there's, that's such a central part of national identity in Puerto Rico. It almost makes the problem seem intractable. Yeah, no, I mean, it was clear um, in 1948 when Puerto Rico, when Puerto Rico uh, first uh, participated 
there, there could not be two delegations using the same flag. It's just, it's just not, it's just not possible. You have one nation, one delegation, right? You come together as a nation to participate. Um, <clears throat> and and in, in, if Puerto Rico becomes a state, that that cannot happen. Um, um, people will have to really think about eliminating one of the most important and visible uh, features of Puerto Rican identity, of Puerto Rican pride, giving them, um, um, having them a state will, will pretty much um, uh, cut those, uh, that, that source, uh, that important source of, of identity and pride that they don't win that many medals. Um, none of the most Countries in the in the Olympic movement won't have any chance to having you know um, a, a medal. They're two hundred and something, but only a few. Most of the medals are won by the bigger countries or European countries. So, for many small nations, it's the parade, it's the opening procession, <clears throat> seeing the delegation parading with next to the entire world, having that flag. Um, and your name, the name of your nation being, being presented before the eyes of the world, that's the most important part of the participation of, of the Olympics. It's right there. Everybody's equal. Everybody has equal chance to win. And once in a while, you may win, like happened with the Puerto Ricans, like with, with Monica Puig and other uh, boxers and Javier Coulson, who won a bronze medal in, in 2012. There's a chance to 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 win, and 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 becoming a part of a broader of a bigger nation, you eliminate that source of happiness, that source of pride, um, and and that's what what's involved here, and in, in how delicate this this topic is. I mean, it's it's proven. There are many books and many projects to come that 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 analyze how strong is a sport for national identity, for state identity. Just think about, you know, Chicago Bears, the Green Bay Packers. <laughs> I mean, the, the rivalry, the sense of identity ingrained in sport is so strong. Right. That, I, I think I, that's what Hobsbawm says, right? It's sometimes easier to imagine a, a nation as a, as a group of 11 men with their oh. names on their jerseys, right? Ask, that's, ask, ask. As the Cleveland Browns when they got their team um, <laughs> eliminated. I'm, I'm, I'm from Cleveland, Antonio. Let's not talk about that. <laughs> um, Antonio, please, in, just briefly, tell us what you're working on now. What can we um, look forward to reading in the future? Absolutely. Um, we are getting ready to um, 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 put into production uh, an anthology that is called The Olympic uh, Movement in the Making of Latin America and the Caribbean. The first of its kind, um, I think there's a lot written on soccer, uh, rightly so. Uh, it's a very important sport. Uh, there's some books about, about uh, baseball, Dominican Republic and, and Cuba. That's very important. But a sustained, deep engagement with, with the Olympic movement, now that, we, that Latin America has two uh, Olympic Games, Mexico 1968, Rio de Janeiro, uh, Brazil in, in 2016, I think it's time, I thought it was time to come, to, to bring scholars together and start analyzing the Olympic movement in and of itself, right? Um, in, its, in its complexities um, uh, and, 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 and diversity in the diversity of, of Latin America and the Caribbean uh, throughout, throughout the 20th century. And one chapter within that anthology uh, uh, that is gonna start analyzing and comparing uh, the the Olympic Games in, in Mexico, in, in, in Brazil, and, and also throwing in the efforts of Argentina of trying to host the Olympic Games. So, so hopefully um, it'll make that, that contribution. We can start talking more about the Olympic movement um, and its impact in Latin America and how Latin America has, has impact has impacted the, the Olympic movement in general. In, in, I have a case of, of Puerto Rico and the nationalist parties and the nationalist movement, use of the Olympic movement for 
for their claims of freedom and stuff like that. So that's that. And my second, my other monograph, the other book that I'm working on, is to dig a bit deeper into the role of the YMCA in in the expansion of, of sport uh, and in 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 its mission of 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 conversion, right? Of, of the religious mission in Latin America. I'm gonna look. I'm gonna compare Puerto Rico and Cuba. Um, and, and, and use uh, the YMCA in, in its religious mission and its, in its sport um, program uh, to, to kind of understand um, uh, imperial expansion, U.S.'s imperial expansion and how Cuba and Puerto Rico negotiated that expansion. That is, they rejected Protestantism for the most part and accepted sports. Well, we'll be looking forward to both of those future projects. Uh, Thank you again, Antonio Sotomayor, for joining us. If you've been listening, we've been speaking with Antonio Sotomayor, author of The Sovereign Colony, Olympic Sport, National Identity, and International Politics in Puerto Rico. This is Keith Rathbone coming to you from Macquarie University for New Books in Sport. Thank you very much. Thank you again, Antonio. (laughs) My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you for listening. Thank you.